This is a podcast by the Business Times. Welcome to Money Hacks, a podcast series by the Business Times, where we explore useful financial tips. I'm your host, Chris Lim. This episode is aimed at how investors can approach the market despite the impact from COVID-19. I have two guests with me from OCBC Bank. Selena Ling is Head of Treasury Research and Strategy, and Carmen Lee is Head of OCBC Investment Research. Welcome to the show, Selena. Thank you, Chris. And welcome, Carmen. Hi, Chris. So on May 26, Singapore's Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Heng Swee Kiet delivered an unprecedented fourth budget this year, dubbed the Fortitude Budget, together with the previous three 2020 budgets. This year's total comes up to almost 100 billion Singapore dollars. Selina, for Singapore's economy, where are we now? Where are we likely to be in the next three to six, 12 months? And what does that mean for investors? We are probably at a turning point for the Singapore economy. The first half growth obviously was very badly impacted by COVID-19 pandemic. We did see the first quarter growth being revised up from initial flash estimates to around minus 0.7% year on year. But with the circuit breaker in April and May, we think second quarter growth will probably mark a bottom. This said, the full year growth will still likely be of a contraction around 6% and would mark the worst recession for the Singapore economy since the global financial crisis and also the Asian financial crisis. Even though we have a phase one reopening from the 2nd of June, the recovery in the second half of this year will probably be quite muted. The latest May PMI numbers point to some stabilisation for the manufacturing and electronics sector, but the whole economy PMI actually saw a new low. This is because business and consumer confidence has been dented badly. That said, economic data is backward-looking, but financial markets are forward-looking. We have seen that since end of March, market liquidity and risk sentiments have actually rebounded. This is due to two factors. One, we have seen very aggressive fiscal and monetary policy easing. And secondly, we have signs that the COVID-19 pandemic seems to be stabilising and globally lockdowns are lifting. Investors have turned a little bit more hopeful. So the outlook actually looks like one of cautious optimism. Hey, so investors need to bear this in mind. Obviously, there's been impact, but hey, there is cautious optimism as long as the investors keep their eyes open and have a realistic set of expectations. They can also cautiously be optimistic then. Yes, that's right. I think financial markets will always try to look at a glass half full rather than half empty. And we do recognize that you know monetary and fiscal policy has been front-loaded and unprecedented. So in 12 months, where do you think we'll be? Hopefully in 12 months' time, we'll probably have sight of the vaccine for COVID-19 and infection levels and fatalities will probably be under control. And that would probably be a good platform for global and domestic growth to recover. But that said, we would also do see other headwinds on the horizon and one of which is the US-China escalation of pensions. So I think all in all, we do not expect that global recovery will be a linear path, but we may get bouts of risk on and risk off. Hence, it still pays to be tactical about taking on more risk. Thanks, Selena. Carmen, one of our recent podcast episodes tackled investing in REITs from the safety of your own home. And that proved quite popular with our listeners. What would you say is the outlook for REITs now? Okay, first, I just want to clarify that REITs are not generic and that there's this general perception that it is one standard universal asset class. Within the Singapore REIT space, you can actually see that there are a lot of uh, subsectors, and this includes retail, industrial, office, hospitality, data center, and even healthcare. 
as such, the outlook for each segment is fairly different. So if you draw a parallel, it's almost like a stock market with several sectors inside each. And each has its own price driver as well as earnings drivers. In Singapore, there are close to about 50 listed REITs, which is why it's actually quite a diversified market. And having said that, actually REITs accounted for almost 21% of the uh, total market capitalization in Singapore. So REITs as an asset class is actually quite significant for the Singapore market. And this whole segment then, the biggest is of course the uh, industrial REITs, which have done very well this year. And uh, they account for almost 29% of the entire REITs that are listed in the, in the small market. The biggest names include uh, Ascender REITs as well as uh, Maple Tree Logistics. These are almost giants, about close to 12 and 7 billion respectively. So if you look at the coronavirus, in terms of the outlook from certain REITs, I think the industrial REITs have actually done very well. They're only down close to only 6% year to date, and uh, versus almost 57% for hospitality REITs. So uh, no surprises here. For the hospitality REITs, uh, they are very dependent on the tourism industry. And so as a result, which uh, the most of the REITs within this sector took the biggest hit. And once you look at the industrial REITs, most of them are actually servicing corporates, which obviously have benefited from the e-commerce trade logistics, etc., etc., and most of the tenants are actually on a longer-term leases. So because of the wide and diversified clientele base from different businesses, in a sense, industrial risks are much more diversified versus a very focused and concentrated sort of sector like the hospitality risks. So to answer your question, it's actually going to be a very different outlook for different segments of the risks. And the clear underperformance this rounds are the hospitality as well as the retail risks. Actually, because the uh, the COVID uh, circuit breaker period actually meant that a lot of the uh, retail outlets can no longer operate during this period, and that has actually impacted the uh, outlook for the sector. So REITs are not homogeneous. Does that mean that an investor should pick a segment to focus on, or is the way to just get a, a diversified basket of REITs or even buy into a REIT ETF? Our preference is obviously to follow the bigger names, largely because of the fact that they're more well-funded. Preferably, if they can, to go into companies with very strong sponsor or government-linked entities. Uh, you have seen that this strong in terms of the outperformance. Companies which are the bigger REITs tend to do much better than the smaller REITs. We have perhaps not much assets and not as well diversified. If you like Money Hacks so far, please subscribe to Money Hacks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and like us and give us a rating. And now back to our conversation with investment research experts, Selena Ling and Carmen Lee from OCBC, where we're discussing how investors can approach the market in light of COVID-19 after close to 100 billion Singapore dollars in Singapore government budgetary measures. But before the break, we talked a bit about REITs and a bit about the macroeconomic outlook. Selena, you know, with the uncertain global outlook, are there any silver linings we should focus on in particular? Well, I think if there are any silver linings, one is that government policy action has been very forthcoming. We have seen a lot of major central banks cut interest rates to close to zero. In fact, there are a couple of central banks already in negative interest rate territory. And many investors are wondering whether Australia and the United States may be the next to follow. So a lower interest rate environment actually would benefit those that have liabilities, whether they are corporates or individuals in terms of their interest rate payments. And I think in addition, um, central bank support have done their job in trying to stabilize funding markets. So by providing sufficient liquidity, that means that corporates actually can still fund themselves, uh, for instance, from the debt capital markets. And I think these requirements will actually be quite material in a climate like this, where on top of a demand shock, we are seeing supply side disruptions as well. The other silver lining I see is that probably it's a time where corporates will rethink their whole digital transformation strategy as well, 
with the circuit breaker, a lot of them have been compelled to actually embark on omni-channel sales platform, for instance, allowing most of their workers to work from home. So there are some productivity improvements that I think that will come out from this whole COVID episode as well. Okay. What about corporate earnings? What's the outlook there and what's the outlook for dividends? Are we looking for more companies to cut the dividends? In terms of corporate earnings, typically when you have an economic downturn, especially a sharp, severe recession like what is on the cards for this year, you would see the credit deterioration story coming through in the next couple of months and quarters. That is to be expected. So I think banks and also regulators are bracing for some of the uh, rising MPLs and some of the consolidation story that we may see, in, especially in some of the very hard-hit COVID-19 type of industries like airlines and hospitality. That's it. If we actually look at the earnings for now, so far the first quarter earnings story hasn't been that badly impacted, but it's still probably a story that's still evolving. I think we do expect that in line with the softening labor market, the demand shock and the supply chain disruptions that I've mentioned earlier, there will be quite a fair bit of churn within the corporate sector itself. And maybe Carmen will want to add in on this as well. Yeah, Carmen, would you like to add in, especially with regard to dividends? Right on the corporate earnings front for this year, most markets are actually expecting a decline for 2020. In particular, if you look at the S&P 500, the decline is almost close to 20%. But this is across-the-board decline. But having said that, I think certain sectors will mostly see between 40 to 50%, and this are likely to be more in the tourism-related or even in consumer discretionary sectors. The sectors will continue to outperform, will perhaps maybe in your biotech as well as in your technology companies. So on an average, we're going to see close to about 20 to 21% decline, uh, higher percentages of 45 to 50% maybe for the more vulnerable sectors, and perhaps slight growth or single digit for some of the more higher growth companies. And rebound will only take place in 2021 for most markets. Having said that, I think if you look at the European and the uh, UK banks, they've actually come out to say that they're not going to pay dividend this year. And you know that traditionally, I think if you go into a very advanced or developed market, then uh, dividend year is such a very key consideration for a lot of investors. And banks in particular has always been one of the strongest sectors to give up a very steady flow of dividend on a yearly basis. So this has come as a shock to the market. And obviously, the next question is, will this also impact all the other markets outside of Europe? And we have so far seen in Singapore context that most of the banks have still uh, continued to pay out what they've actually agreed to pay out in the past. But having said that, I think this is a new reality that most companies are going to go into a very challenging next two to three quarters. And I think they have to be prudent and they have to conserve funds. And if they have to conserve funds to ensure that they can still write this out for the next one to two years, then realistically, shareholders should also bear in mind that this should now form part of the investment decision that when they buy into companies, the dividend payout that they saw in the past perhaps decade or so may or may not continue this year. I think it's quite interesting that also geographically there is a little bit of divergence. Carmen alluded to the European banks where due to weaker economic fundamentals and bank fundamentals, European regulators have taken a harder stance to cut dividends and other shareholder distribution. But if you look within Asia itself, and I think Australia included, where banks are on a slightly firmer footing, actually regulators still encourage, but they do not actually demand that the dividends be assessed in order to maintain sufficient capital to support the credit needs of the economy. So there is some credit differentiation that is probably taking place on both a country and a regional basis, even within the same banking sector. All right, that's a wrap. Carmen, thank you for spending your time with us today. You're welcome and stay safe. Selena, thank you for speaking with us today too. My pleasure. Thank you, Chris. We've been speaking with investment research experts Selena Ling and Carmen Lee from OCBC. 
And that's a wrap for this episode of Money Hacks, a podcast series by The Business Times. That was an SBH podcast by The Business Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3. Any financial or investment information in this podcast is for use in Singapore only and is intended to be for your general information. Any particular investment or decision should only be made after consulting with a fully qualified financial advisor.